0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome again to Harvest Community Church. Uh, If we've not met, my name is Brian, and uh, I'm out of town this weekend. Uh, I'm performing a wedding uh, down in Texas, but uh, I wanted to bring this message about the resurrection to you. We've been in a series called Asking for a Friend. We had a great Easter last weekend. It was an incredible uh, day and an incredible experience, and uh, now... Uh, we're going to continue on. And so asking for a friend is a, one of those sort of humorous ways that we indicate that we have a question that might be a little off or a little difficult or a little embarrassing. It works sort of like this. We say, well, you know, I'm asking on behalf of somebody else, right? I'm asking for a friend. It's, it's, like, it's like going on social media and saying, uh, how many days can I go without showering? Asking for a friend. You get the idea, I think, you know, that uh, what if I'm 60 and I have nothing saved for retirement? Asking for a friend. Uh, What what if you're in college and you're like, I'm just not sure college is for me. Like, how do people feel about dropping out of college? Asking for a friend. That's sort of the idea of these difficult questions we sometimes want to ask. And I think sometimes... That in church world, we don't ask enough difficult, but good questions. And so in this series, we're asking a lot of them. Last week, we were talking about uh, whether Easter can really make a difference in your life. And today is, in a sense, sort of a part two of that. Uh, because today, we're going to talk about the resurrection. In the weeks ahead, we're going to ask questions like, Why does God care who I sleep with? We're going to ask... You know, life is painful and difficult, and I'm considering giving up. I'm considering suicide. What does God think about that? Now, I'm not, but there are real people in our world who are, probably some of you. And so I want us to be able to talk openly about some of these hard but difficult, even embarrassing kinds of questions. And so we're going to read our Bibles today. If you have them, you might open it with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We'll read the resurrection story in just a moment. Today, we're going to ask this question that for a lot of folks in our world, not necessarily for believers, but for a lot of folks in our world, the resurrection seems too much like nonsense to be believable. And so I think a lot of people would ask do you really expect me to believe? that Jesus went in dead to that tomb. Jesus went in dead and came out alive. And in a lot of ways, I'm going to tell you, that's up to you. For a lot of people, it seems too much like nonsense to be believed, too miraculous to be real, too made up to be trusted, too convenient to be fact, too unscientific to be counted on. I think there are a lot of folks in our world that say, you don't really believe this, do you? As a Christian, I absolutely believe this. In fact, I'm going to tell you shortly, it takes just as much faith to believe that it didn't happen as it does to take faith to believe that it, that it did. And really what we're doing is we're asking two questions, if you will. The first, can I really believe that this is real, that it really happened factually, historically? In terms of the resurrection and the second is so what why does it matter if jesus rose from the dead so i want to read for us in our bibles this morning and i'm just going to pick up the part of the text in luke 23 where jesus died it says this you might remember luke 23 is where we were last week jesus had said to the thief on the the cross, on on one side of him, that truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And scripture says it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Jesus died. And after that, the centurion, the centurion said, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely this man, he says in one of the other gospels, was the Son of God. And some of the women who were gathered there watched everything that happened and they wept. And There was a man named Joseph who was on the ruling council who secretly believed in Jesus. And he went and he asked for the body of Jesus. And there was a tomb nearby They buried the body of Jesus. He and another secret believer, Nicodemus, wrapped the body in cloths. They wrapped in various burial spices. They put his tomb, his body in the tomb. And they rolled the stone over. The women who had followed them watched all this happen. Luke chapter 24 begins this way, it says, on the very first day of the week, that is Sunday morning, uh, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down They told all these things to the eleven, to the the other disciples, minus Judas, of course, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like, like nonsense. It turns out that the very first followers of Jesus thought the idea that Jesus had risen from the dead, the very first believers, their first reaction was that this seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up. Peter being one of the original disciples and uh, easily one of the leaders among the twelve. Peter... However, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, the Gospel of John kind of fills this in a little bit because actually, John and Peter both went to the tomb to look in. So, listen to these words from John 20. This is verses 5 through 10. I'm going to read it from the ESV um, because I, I think it just adds something I think that's helpful. It says, John 20, verse 5, And stooping to look in, Peter saw the linen cloth lying there. Or rather, John saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. So just to get the picture, he peers into the tomb. John gets to the tomb first, what John tells us. A little competition going on between he and Peter. He gets there first, and he sees, but he doesn't. he's not the first to go in. But he sees the linen cloths lying there, and they're, they're, they're still laying out on that slab as though... There had been a body in them, but there they are, laid out as though a body had been there. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first—that's John—also went in, and he saw and believed. Now, there's something interesting going on here. When it says Peter saw, and it says John saw, it's using two different Greek words for see. It literally is telling us that when Peter arrived, he rushed in, and he saw. Uh, uh, sort of theorized is the the Greek word in a lot of senses. He he beheld attentively the grave clothes and the separate burial cloth. In other words, he saw them and he was putting together the puzzle in his head. What happened to Jesus? But He didn't yet believe. John, on the other hand, went in and saw, and that word saw means perceived. And John saw and believed right away. And think in many, many cases what we find here is that we need to have the openness of Peter, John, and those early women who wondered what the empty tomb really meant. In fact, I want to make this point to us, kind of the one thing that today's message is about, so I'm going to get right to it. Peter had to find out for himself and so do I. Remember, the the ladies showed up, and to them their their talking seemed like nonsense. They were talking about how there were these men, and they said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And and and, and all of this, just that that the, the, the linens were lying there. It all to them, to those earliest disciples, seemed like nonsense. But Peter got up and John got up too, and they ran to the grave to see for themselves. And so my one thing today, Peter had to find out for himself. So do I. You need to look into it. You need to peer into the empty tomb. Consider the evidence. Look at the linens. Think about the folded cloth. Follow the facts. Your friends can't decide for you what you believe about Jesus Christ. Your family can't decide for you what you believe about Jesus Christ. And to delay is to not decide. In other words, to delay is a decision not to believe. A delayed decision is, is is still a decision for not having faith. And you've got to decide for yourselves. And the reality is, as a Christian, I can have faith and still keep my brain. Christian faith is not blind faith. Christian faith... <laughs> in Jesus is not believing the unbelievable. Christian faith in Jesus is faith based on reasonable evidence. The reality is that Jesus can handle all of those questions I've got and all the questions we're going to ask in our Asking for a Friend series. It takes just as much faith to believe the resurrection is made up as it does to believe that the resurrection is all real. You weren't there. I wasn't there. We're going on the words uh, that someone historically has passed on to us. So I want you to look into the facts. I want you to peer into the empty tomb. And I want you to recognize that, that to believe that this was faked requires just as much faith. As believing that it's all real. And in a sense, it's not whether to have faith or not to have faith. It's just a decision as to which kind of faith you're going to have. So I want us to just think logically back through the story for a few minutes. And I want you to think about it this way. To fake the resurrection, the disciples who were on the run for their lives, who thought that they would be arrested and crucified as well. And in some cases, later they were. But to fake the resurrection, there's a lot that those guys would have to do after Jesus was crucified. You know, one of the common theories to dispel the resurrection is this belief that that the disciples concocted this whole thing. That Jesus might have been a real human being, but they made Him into something He wasn't. That they made Him into God. That they put these words in His mouth. And then after He was crucified, they broke into the tomb and they took the body and they disposed of it somewhere and they went about their happy, merry lives teaching people that Jesus was alive when He was not. That's a common belief That a whole lot of people have. And a whole lot of people who are pretty smart, in their minds at least, have concluded that Jesus never really rose from the dead because they believe, or you could say they have faith, that Jesus did not. And I just want to think through the logic of what it would take for the disciples to pull this off. It's sort of the opposite of what we usually talk about at church. Usually I'm going, you need to have faith and believe because this is what happened. And here's the evidence for that. I want to go sort of the opposite direction today and say, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and you do believe that this was all made up and the disciples faked it somehow, I want you to think about the faith required. To really believe that. Faking the resurrection would require, number one, if you're looking in the notes, number one, it would require overcoming the guards. Remember, they had Roman soldiers as guards at this tomb. So, these sort of bumbling disciples had to show up ready to overcome the Roman guards who were likely larger than they were, better equipped than they were, and they were soldiers, They would have had to have overcome those multiple guards. Then, they would have, if they were going to fake this, faking the resurrection would require removing and hiding the dead body. So they'd have to go in, they'd have to move the stone away, which is no easy feat in and of itself. After they've overcome the guards, they have to go in and they have to take the body. And they're going to do this in the darkness of night. Who in the darkness of night, what thief says, you know what, before I steal the bed, I'm going to take all of the sheets off and lay them back where the bed was, And but I'm going to take the mattress, but I'm going to leave the sheets. Now these burial cloths were not sheets, I don't mean to imply that. But they were left behind and they weren't taken. If I was going to steal the dead body of Jesus, this is get in, get out. You would have me believe that they got in, overcame the guards, moved the stone, got in, unwrapped the body of Jesus, and then laid those burial cloths back out. And took the napkin that was over his head, not not our version of a napkin, but this folded cloth that was over his head, and folded it back up and put it back in place. That, That makes no sense it used would be a get in get out kind of deal and then after that if you stole the body you put the grave clothes back i mean i don't know maybe maybe it turns out the disciples were british or something right i mean why fold the napkin right it just seems all very proper for for garden thieves Faking the resurrection would require overcoming the guards, removing and hiding the dead body. And by the way, nobody ever produced the dead body of Jesus. Don't you think they would have gone looking for that? Not they, the disciples, but they, the Romans, and everyone else. Third, this would involve convincing hundreds of other people to lie about seeing the resurrected Jesus. This would involve convincing hundreds, hundreds of other people to lie about seeing the resurrected Jesus because 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he was seen by hundreds and hundreds of people in various times, in various places. And you would have to convince all of those people to lie about that. There's actually a theory about this that says that That somehow the disciples pulled off mass hallucination to make hundreds of people believe they saw the real alive Jesus when they did not. That they pulled off mass hallucination. This is supposed to be one of the evidences against the resurrection that somehow they faked hallucinations among hundreds of people at the same time. I don't know of any other time in history where that has ever been done that would require believing that would require an insane amount of faith Certainly more faith Just as much faith at least as believing that jesus actually rose from the dead as god in the flesh Number three, they'd have to convince hundreds of other people to lie about seeing the resurrection and these same disciples would teach that same lie for generations So number four, faking the resurrection would require, think about this, keeping their mouths shut. As those 11, and later they replaced Judas, so as those 12 apostles, they would have to preach the lie, tell the lie, and eventually die Faking the resurrection would require keeping their mouths shut, all of them, as they died for the lie. You know, you watch, you watch things unfold in our country. Lies happen so, so often. and And don't give me any of the like, well, that tribe lies, and our tribe always tells the truth. Come on. Come on, powerful people lie all the time. But you know what? You put somebody under oath and ask them to pay the consequence of, of lying to cover up something for somebody else, and you say, you're going to go to jail for like, say, 10, 20 years to cover the lie that that person told? Like, who wants to give up 10 years of their life for a lie? Well, these guys would have gone further than that. They they were jailed for telling the lie. I don't believe it's a lie, but hear me out. They died for this supposed lie that Jesus was alive. All of these apostles traveled the world of their day telling people the good news that Jesus died for their sins, was buried in a borrowed grave, and rose again back to life on the third day. And every single one of them faced persecution, faced arrest, and in many cases they faced multiple beatings. In some cases they were crucified. Some of them said, I don't deserve to be crucified. The way Jesus was, they asked to be crucified upside down. Others were killed, were maimed, were beheaded. Like They were... Their lives were taken... For the lie? Like, I, don't, I don't think they'd have pulled that off. I just don't. So they would have had to have convinced... Hundreds of other people... To lie about seeing the resurrected Jesus. Then they'd have to keep their mouths shut... As they all died for the lie. And number five... They'd have to convince others... Who opposed Jesus... Others who didn't believe in Jesus they'd have to convince those folks to change their mind and live for the lie. Because there were people, many, who didn't believe in Jesus prior to the resurrection, but did believe in him afterwards. One of them, the Apostle Paul, who was sometimes called Saul, wrote about half or so of our New Testament, and he didn't believe... In fact, he went around killing early Christians... But he had a personal experience with the resurrected Jesus. It changed his entire future. And he lived for the belief that Jesus died and rose again. Some of Jesus' own brothers, James and Jude and others, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah while Jesus taught on this earth. They thought he was nuts. But after the crucifixion, after the burial, they saw Jesus buried. And then they saw Jesus alive. And they put their faith in him. And those guys wrote part of the New Testament as well. You would have had to have convinced these others who didn't believe in Jesus to now change their mind, believe in Jesus, and live for the lie. The reality is it takes just as much faith to believe that this is a lie as it does to believe that it's all Real. All real. I'll give you one more bonus proof or evidence in my mind. I mean, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say all of this was done publicly. Everything that happened to Jesus happened publicly. Nobody was hiding this in a dark room somewhere. There were tons of eyewitnesses. There was radical change in lots of people's lives. The tomb was secured. The tomb was, tomb was empty. Nobody has ever produced a body. The disciples all died for their belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And there was radical life change for people who didn't believe but changed their mind and came to believe that Jesus was alive. And to me, there's very good evidence to believe this. I'll give you one more. It says that the women were the very first to tell the story, to give testimony to the fact that Jesus Rose from the dead. Now, that may not seem like a big deal today, but back then it would have been. And it would have been because women in that day, and again, I'm not for this, please don't think I'm being sexist here, I'm just describing something from history. In that world, in that day, in that time, women were not to be believed in a court of law. There's still countries around the world that act like that today, but thankfully, the United States of America is not one of them. But back then, women not, were not to be trusted in any kind of legal or trustable sense. And if this was all made up, if the story was all sort of concocted in the imagination of the early leaders of the church, why make the women the first to tell the truth that Jesus rose from the dead? Why make them the first to testify when you know that culturally speaking, people who would hear this would discount them? My thinking is this is not made up. This is what really happened. Peter and James and John... all those other guys, if they made this up back in the day, way back when, if they were sitting in some room somewhere saying, wouldn't that be great if we made up the story that Jesus rose from the dead, you'd have had Peter and John arguing over which of them got to be the first one there, which they were not, and which of them got to be the first to say, I believed, I believed, I saw, but in every case in the Gospels, in every case, they tell us that the women were the first to see and to testify. It takes just as much faith to believe this is all made up as it does to believe it's all real. And faith that it's all real offers a whole lot more for your life. And so I've chosen to believe, based on good evidence, that you can trust the Bible, that you can trust the Gospels, and that you can trust the evidence that the tomb was empty because Jesus was alive. And so we find ourselves asking, well, then what difference does the resurrection make? I mean, what does this all really mean? So what if it really happened? Why does it matter? And the reality is, the tomb was empty, so I don't have to be. I say that a lot of Easter's. The tomb was empty, so I don't have to be. We've read the resurrection story. Let me read for you. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, sort of a little different telling of something that was going on in one of the early churches related to the resurrection. There were people there who were not believing that resurrections were possible or scientific or real. And and Paul writes to them, who, who himself did not believe, persecuted Christians, was responsible for their deaths, tried to stamp out early Christianity, had a personal experience with the resurrected Jesus, and changed the entire direction of his life in order to tell the world that Jesus died and rose again. That same Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 13. He says, look, church, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's empty, and you're still in your sins. He's, of course, arguing, and I will show you in a second, that Christ indeed has been raised from the dead and that as the first raised from the dead, He is the first fruits that He has gone before that we too as believers in Christ one day will be raised from the dead. So what does the resurrection really mean? Well, number one, the resurrection is proof that Jesus is who He claimed to be. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. The resurrection is proof that Jesus went in truly dead. That Jesus came out actually alive. That there's no faking it here. He was not asleep. He was not almost there, but not quite. And the man had been beaten to a pulp, then crucified for hours, then had a spear stuck in his side. And there are those who would say, Yeah, but he wasn't really quite dead. I don't know about you, but to me, that seems to be a lot of faith. I just choose to believe. Based on everything the New Testament says, Jesus went in really dead, but he came out actually alive. Really, truly alive. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be the Son of God, God in the flesh. Number two, the resurrection is the guarantee of our forgiveness the guarantee of our forgiveness. Jesus went into that tomb with my sins and he came out without them. And so as the Bible says, my sins have been separated from me as far as the east is from the west. They are forgiven. The debt is canceled. That there is no more sense in which, which God sees me and sees my sins because my sins were placed on jesus as it said in verse 17 here in first corinthians if christ has not been raised then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins but as it is he has been raised and our faith is not empty because we're no longer in our sins but that's what jesus took care of on the cross scripture proves this in a hundred places that our sins were placed on him and he went in to the tomb dead with them and he came out alive without them the resurrection is guarantee of our forgiveness and number three the resurrection is the basis for our hope The resurrection is the basis for our hope. Jesus went in with the worst thing and he came out with the best thing. The resurrection really is the basis, the entire foundation of all of our hope as Christian people. Jesus went in dead, came out alive. He went in with death as the enemy and he came out defeating death. He came out alive. This is the basis for our hope. Think about what Peter and John and the women who followed Jesus and all of the other disciples were carrying. When Jesus was arrested, all of their hopes were dashed. Peter himself denied that he knew Jesus multiple times. Most of them scattered and ran for their very lives. The women followed as Jesus was uh, not only arrested, but then tried and then taken to Golgotha where he would be crucified. And the women were there and wept. And John was there, the only one of the male disciples, to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And they wept. And everything from the last three years of their lives, their hopes, their dreams, their faith, their beliefs, all of it died when he died. And all of that went into that tomb. Jesus went in with the worst thing. And he came out with the best. I love this quote from Frederick Buechner. Frederick Beatner once wrote that resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. What a powerful statement. It's my favorite quote of his. Again, Frederick Buechner. He wrote resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. His point is that God still has something to say. And I'm guessing there are a lot of things in your life, painful things that seem like they get to define you. That there are a lot thing a lot of things you've gone through that you experience in this world that just seems so painful and broken and regret filled, so difficult, so hard, so overwhelming that those things feel Like they get the final say and the final word about your life. But the resurrection says they do not. God gets the final word. In fact, the resurrection says that death does not get the final word for Jesus. And death does not get the final word for you and me. One day in the future, God says, believers in Jesus will rise from the dead just as Jesus did. That life is real and death is defeated. That, my friends, is such real hope. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, he's talking about Adam, Then the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits. And then he who comes, when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come. And when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion and authority and power, For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the book of Revelation tells us, and so does the rest of the Bible, that there comes a time, in time, at the end of time, when death no longer wins. In fact, when death no longer exists. Reality is there's hope because Jesus is alive because of the resurrection? The worst thing it's never the last thing. And if you've got pain in your life, maybe you've lost someone, maybe you've lost someone in your family, and there's brokenness over that, I just tell you, there's hope. The resurrection. You know, I want to end with our two prayers. We always end our services with two prayers: the first, a prayer of salvation; the second, a prayer of application for those of us that are disciples who've already given our lives to Christ. And if you need Jesus today, maybe today you're convinced to change your mind. Maybe right here, right now, whether in the room or online. Maybe you're in a place to say, you know what? Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to put my faith there. I believe that he's really alive. Maybe you'd pray just like this with me Dear Jesus, I don't deserve any of this you've done for me. But I turn to you and I change my mind and I put my faith in you. I ask you to forgive my sins. Based on that cross, and I ask you to take over my life and be my God. Change me, transform me, make me like you, Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're alive today. Since you're alive, doing my life everything you want. Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, I would love to celebrate that. We celebrate that in big ways. We celebrate with baptism. We will celebrate baptism here in just a few weeks. And we would love to celebrate that with you. That said, I know a lot of you prayed a prayer like that number of years ago. And a lot of you do have faith that Jesus rose from the dead. I hope that this just encourages that, reminds you. The resurrection is so, so good. Maybe you'd pray this prayer of application with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for this encouragement of our belief in the resurrection. Help us to share that faith with each other, with our world. Thank you that our forgiveness is guaranteed. May our inner inner actions with others smell of your grace and your kindness and your forgiveness thank you that the resurrection means hope and when the worst things happen in our lives we put our hope in the fact that you will still have a final word to say that hope wins because the resurrection wins we trust you, Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. That's we're celebrating, isn't it?